B1 Journalist of the Year from the American Conservative Union at CPAC 2015. You like me right now. You like me. He's Jim Garrity. How do you like me now? Now that I'm on my She's a broadcast professional who's got pop culture by the throat, and she won't let go. Crank up the radio. Run for your lives, everyone. This is not a drill. She's broadcast pro Mickey White. How do you like me now? This is the Jim and Mickey Show. When I see lips begging to be kissed, I can't stop. I can't stop. Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show, brought to you by the During Foundation in Berlin. Ja, the During Foundation stands accused of supporting hackers of classified information and effectively handing checks to Hezbollah in the name of helping Syrian war refugees. But there is no need for this paranoid thinking about fears for your homeland. <laughs> Think carefully, Americans. When was the last time a powerful, secretive German with vast ambitions caused you trouble, eh? Think about it. When was the last time someone trusted by the CIA's Carrie Matheson turned out to be dangerous? What is the worst that could happen? <laughs> and I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And <laughs> paranoia-inducing opening. Welcome to the mid-October edition of the Jim and Mickey Show. Mickey, how are you? I am doing well, doing well. I am adjusting to this idea that it is, in fact, fall, and I have to pull out sweaters and things now, though. And, you know, you know me. I am a spring and summer girl. So this is we're heading into my least favorite part of the year, pretty much. Oh, <clears throat> all the same, I'm sitting here idly speculating about what it would be like to remove those little fuzzy things from Mickey's sweater while she's in it. <laughs> and I'm now thoroughly distracted. You, you have a thing there. Let me just, yeah. In fact, I, I, some, some guys probably walk around with like little bits of styrofoam or paper or something. And just kind of flick them over. Just, you know. just hey. for the hour. Like, oh, I'm sorry. Let me get that for you. Let me get now. that for you. Well, anyway. <laughs> speaking you. Of, they do it, come it, in that, handy sometimes, though, for yeah. like carrying things. You know, and the topic of odd and creepy behavior. If uh-huh. someone said to you, Mickey, I'm not going to tip anyone ever again, what would you say to them? I, you cheap bastard. Or maybe go back to Europe. <laughs> right? right yeah. It's a very European thing. So, yes, go back to Europe. If you're bad. Yeah, malevolent Europeans is the theme of this opening segment, it seems. Um, so, tipping is not really <laughs> tipping is not a city in China. It is kind of standard in, in, most, uh, in most American restaurants. But, you know, so there's some news out just a, a short while ago. So, Union Square Hospitality Group, which has a bunch of restaurants up in New York City, uh, said they are eliminating tipping in all of their restaurants by the end of next year. And this is a, a 12 restaurants. They serve about 40,000 to 50,000 meals a week. Mm-hmm. Um, He's considered a huge, huge chef in the industry. Yeah, this is uh, Danny Meyer. So, I mean, one of, you know, what do you think of this, Mickey? Is this, is this, are we on the verge of a big cultural shift on, on tipping in restaurants? Well, first of all, it's not that shocking in the sense that it's been building for a while where a lot of restaurants have started including, you know, 20% or 18% tip if you have a party of six or more. Certain um, restaurants that I go to automatically do the 18% at the end of your tip so that, and then they split the tips between them. So it's not that unusual. What is unusual to me is that they're taking away all incentive. Mm. And... And the theory being that they're going to pay these 
people a salary higher than what they would make tipping, which seems unlikely. Um, but I think it has something to do with that whole like $15 minimum wage thing that's coming because mm. they're basically giving them salaries and in some cases like, you know, profit sharing for the evening. But the real like secret end of this is that while they're saying you can't tip anymore, they'll be raising prices approximately 30% across the Whoa! board. Oh, okay. All right. And the it, menu. It, in the legendarily inexpensive New York City. Right. Exactly. Like in these already very posh restaurants. And maybe that's part of it. Maybe he knows his clientele is, you know, there's a you know two-month wait list for a table. Maybe he knows his clientele is not going to be affected by this. But I don't think this works for mom and pop shops. It's not a business model. <laughs> no. I don't think it's, and you know, it was funny because Tom Colicchio was on the Today Show this week talking about how he's trying out something similar, but not exactly the same, um, more like tip sharing versus um, the the flat out no tipping. And it, it, all of it sounds to me very, um, I, it, it de-incentivizes the service industry. And let's just face it, service already sucks in this country. Yeah. <laughs> like sometimes you feel like the only leverage you have is that tip at the end of dinner. Because no, I, you're like, I, yeah, you, you put your finger right on it. Um, the word that you were trying to think of, I think it was there, there was socialist. To, yes, uh, that, that is the word. I was trying not to say it, but yes, yeah, that was Larry David-esque person running for president, <laughs> perhaps. Um, so two observations there. One is you mentioned that the idea of tip pooling. I understand there are quite a few restaurants where at the end of the shift, everybody's tips get lumped together. And to me, that always struck me as like, wait a minute. If, if I'm giving a good tip to somebody who's giving me good service, I don't want a chunk of it going off to the guy in the other section of the restaurant who's giving bad service. Like I thought the whole point of tipping was to say, hey, nice job. Thanks for taking care and, of me. And that can be a serious issue amongst wait staff because of that, like the, the way that that's set up. I also um, think there's a bit of a lure there to the classical socialist idea that if you pool the value and everyone shares it, somehow that makes more value. <laughs> it doesn't. And in fact, if people are unhappy and they find out their tips are going to bad waiters, they'll tip less. So pooling and sharing will result in less value, not the magical more value that they always think. Yeah. My other gripe with Mr. Meyer and, and this uh, Union Square Hospitality Group doing this is I, I can't think of a worse thing than to do to eliminate tips in about half the restaurants in the country and for the other half, half to be tip-based. Because then, inevitably, there are some people who will start not tipping at restaurants because they think the practice is now uh, no longer in use, right? It, it's, it's part of the past. So people who are counting on tips won't get them. And then you'll go to one of these places that does have tips and you leave extra money at the end of it and they'll say, no, 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 sir, we can't take that. So it's a very strange... Um, what, whatever we're going to do in this country, I'd kind of like it to be... I don't need legislation. I don't need a grand, you know, uh, solution handed down on high. I just like to build a cultural consensus. Are we tipping or not? And if so, yes, we still tip because we are not freaking Europe, and because I am not paying thirty percent extra if I don't know that I'm going to get good service. Like the bottom line is this: you, we, the consumers, have a choice. And there are certain places that I go to where, as I said, I know that the tip is going to be included. But I also know I'm going to get excellent service there. And I don't mind it. There are other places that if they were to include the tip, 
<laughs> like I go there for the food. Like the service is so god awful that it's painful. <laughs> but the food is so good that I go there and I will eat there and I will order drinks there and I will bitch the entire time. No oh, soup for you. No service, <laughs> yes, because the service is just so horrible. No soup for you. You just cost yourself a soup. But the food is so good. So like. They, you know, and, and the thing about it is, like, I'm a general 20% tipper, mostly because it's easier math than, like, 15. Um, <laughs> but I generally give, like, 20%. And even in this place, like, I, there have been nights where I'm like, I can't, I, I just can't give you, I can't give you that much money because you're a horrible person. <laughs> you're a horrible person. And, you know, and it's the kind of place where, like, you know, before you leave, they're going to offer you a free dessert every single night because every single night something's coming out screwed up. Uh, there's nothing more awkward than you get together with a group of friends. You know, restaurants have gotten a lot better about splitting checks than they used to be. But I'm thinking back yeah, they to used let's to say, be really hateful about yeah. it. And, and it, it's math, folks, right? I mean, you should know who ordered what food. That shouldn't be, you know, it's, it's not like we're asking to, you know. Well, now they can just punch it into the computer so it's yeah, easier. Translate the Rosetta Stone or something like that. Just, you know, just div- divvy it up. <laughs> um, but then you'd, you'd get like the 15% side of the table and the 20% side of the table. <laughs> and there would just be kind of this glare, the sense of, oh, you're one of those. <laughs> you know, oh, this, you're a 15%er. So, like, so you, so well, how what you I thought was really interesting is that a few years ago they started adding at the bottom of receipt. Yes. <laughs> the, uh, you know, this is the, and I actually appreciate that being that, you know, obviously I'm a math genius. Um, I, I like the 20% because it's easy on the math side. But when they started writing it out for me, I kind of was like, that's cool. Um, but I noticed it used to be like 10%, 15%, 20%. Recently, (laughs) I have seen them at 15%, 20%, 25%. Yeah, 25% is all of a sudden now considered not special, just a little bit better than normal. Um, I I understand that. 20% used to be a big deal. Yes, that was was a good job. 15% was a big deal because it used to be 10. Okay, so we have tip inflation. Um, And and like you, Mickey, my attitude is sort of the... uh, uh, Chevy Chase's Gerald Ford. It was my understanding there'd be no math involved in this meal. Um, otherwise, I would have studied. Uh, but I was not expecting to have to do percentages and statistics and things like that. In fact, I ended up being the guy who handled this at our happy hour crowd simply oh. because I was the only person who was not afraid of math anymore. Oh, well, good uh, for you. But, you know, but it was intriguing because you know, you'd, you'd divvy up what you, what's, you thought was normal. And I still remained on the 15% is normal, 20% is good. They do something extraordinary. You can get into twenty five percent, but you really wouldn't. You know, on, on a typical Friday night, that would not be part of the what you do there. And it, it's kind of that unnerving feeling when all of a sudden you've become cheap without ever making the conscious choice to be cheap. You know. Well, at some point you have to put a limit on, like, okay, I'm paying for the dinner, and in some cases, especially the places where you're going out, you know, obviously we're not talking about inexpensive drinks, et cetera, because of just where you live. Um, and, and I have found out recently that where I live, I'm getting hosed on booze prices so, um, at bars. And so that, that, that makes me very unhappy. But you have all of that to weigh in, you know, like, okay, we're going for the meal. We're going for the experience. We're going to hang out with your friends. You could spend a couple of hours there. It adds up relatively quickly. And then suddenly you're tied into an automatic, you know, 
30% higher bill than what you thought you were going to have. Yeah, it just seems a, a sense of if I were getting more for it, fine. But it's that, it's that subtle 5% increase in prices for no tangible, measurable increase in value or service. Absolutely. In fact, it, it de-incentivizes um, some of the service because they're not getting to base on their performance. And that's, you know, we know that works. We know that performance incentives work. Um, apparently, you know, performance incentives work in, in all forms of, um, industries, including, as we know, the media and, uh, coming up in the next segment, there's a lot of really crazy stories going on on TV and some of them just never seem to find an end. I'm Mickey White. He's Jim Garrity. And we'll be talking about that on the next segment of the Jim and Mickey show. for you. This is... Max Hedrum. And what you're about to witness is one of the most sinister-sounding intros to a trailer to one of the greatest epics ever produced in the history of television. And there's more. Because you are going to see it as well. Yes, it. Yes, it. Yes. Namely, the Max Hedrum story. (gasps) And afterwards, that is directly following, I want to talk to you about something even bigger. Namely... Max now, 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 back to the Jim and Mickey show. I've never seen that woman before in my life. Then why's your name tattooed on her back? Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And I'm just about to ask, on that show I was talking to you about, Mickey, uh, Blind Spot, about the woman with all the tattoos featuring Jamie Alexander? Yes. Okay. Have you caught it yet? I have not. It's actually one of those things that's on my list to binge on. Okay, I, I have to add a bit of a cautionary note. Um, I would contend, having now seen three episodes, I think there are about four. I got to catch the the most recent one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a well done show. Actors are fine. Filmed on scene in uh, New York City. Uh, great sense of tension and drama, and this uh, mystery of who who this woman is, why she has amnesia, what all these clues tattooed on her body mean. She's giving a great performance. Um, just a little bit of a catch. Okay. Um, so you know, you're watching a show and you're enjoying it and suddenly the plot takes a turn. You're just not, you know, wait a minute. That doesn't really make much sense. Mm-hmm. In three episodes of uh, Blind Spot. Okay. One, a secret drone program killing Americans on U.S. soil. <laughs> no. <laughs> Two, a team of ex-Navy SEALs becoming bank robbers. I want to see actual SEALs rob a bank. Okay. The FBI being involved in a shady off-the-books assassination program. That's just too much of a stretch. Um, With the exception of the pilot, I'm waiting for actual bad guys to show up. (laughs) Every one of the bad guys is involved in some element of of the the government, of either the military or the FBI or... Well, is that the whole thing of the show, though? Is that it is some type of military, like, conspiracy thing? Um, Okay. I don't think it was initially pitched that way, and our heroes are part of the FBI trying to determine why... Uh, well, because there's was, always like good FBI agents, and then there's yeah. the bad FBI agents. The trope of the rogue government program up to no good. And look, people who know my politics know I think the government is up to no good all the time. Right. Um, like, but so it's strange. You to know see. what my problem is with it? Yeah. Not that I don't think the government is up to no good all the time, because obviously, again, people who know my politics know that I believe that they are. Um, but in fact, that most of these shows, in fact, it's one of the reasons why I stopped watching the following. Um, they, they portrayed them as incompetent 
Mm. Um, beyond belief. But the other side of it is that in order to believe this grand conspiracy theory behind the government, you have to believe there were that many competent people involved. Yes, that, that is a very good observation. We live in a world in which the Office of Personnel Management let every single personnel record of anyone who ever worked for the federal government get hacked by the Chinese. Correct. So in the real world, could, like, the, the first thing that would happen is the conspiracy guy would go to a – the low-level man in the conspiracy would go to a strip club and immediately start telling the stripper, so you know what I'll do? Yeah. We're taking over the world. Oh, yeah. right. well, you know, I'm, I'm a big shot. You know? Yes, that was actually a plot line the other night um, in, the, in, in a great new comedy, actually, um, in The Grinder with Rob Lowe, which is hot. Um, also, shout out to Grandfathered with John Stamos. Totally found their market in um, women like me. Just okay. put that out there. I worry about their futures just because, you know, it, it, they're de- both conceptually um, conceptually, I guess would be a better way to pronounce that. Um, good, really good shows, but very different shows. Um, but it's back to back John Stamos and then Rob Lowe. So I don't really care. Um, just just, so they, they did the idea of low level people in conspiracy blabbing about it, right? Yes. And it was, um, it was actually in, in, in the grinder, it was a situation where, uh, an office worker was, was sitting at a bar getting loaded and just running his mouth. Exactly what you just described. There you go. See, that can happen in a comedy. It wouldn't happen in to, to cite our sponsor of the week, Homeland, um, where not only are there constantly vast conspiracies and plots within plots and, and mini cabals within the larger cabal working against the other cabal. Um, I mean, the like only survivor. True, yeah, the only true north you have on the show is that anybody that Carrie trusts will turn out to be a bad guy bunch of heartbreakers she she so she has like horrible taste in men is what you're suggesting pretty like like oh that guy turned out to be a jerk no in this case he was like a sleeper agent for a terrorist cell like like that's a really bad date right that's a sign things have gone really terrible but he tries to blow himself halfway through blow himself up halfway through the relationship well and it does tend to confuse especially in some of these like hbo and showtime shows it confuses the viewer um when they choose to go ahead and just like kill off main characters because you're like, wait, I thought we were oh going somewhere with that. Guess not. And and again, I I think you know I, I know that they change writers and things from year to year, but you can almost feel a change in some of them. It, it usually happens right after the actor asks for a really big raise. That, that too. <laughs> that too. And it, I well, really and think it's I more per episode. <laughs> well, and, and we oh, talked about this too. It. Some of some of my favorite shows are you know kind of coming into their you know twilight year, so to speak, of relevancy. And I, you know, I'm just hoping that they finish as well as I think that Charmed was one of the greatest finales in history. Um, it's certainly one that kind of as a viewer, you felt like, you know, everything was complete. I know that you have many, many shows that you never got the answers that you needed. So, so what's haunting you? What, what show are you like, wait a minute, they never ended it and they really needed to. You're going to laugh at me. Go ahead. Try me. Okay. There was a show back in the day and it starred Jason Bateman. Okay. And I think it was called It's Your Move. And they had this like two part finale involving this rip off Grateful Dead band thing, whatever. I don't know if I was on Mars when that happened. I don't remember anything about this. And 
well, that, that's just it. I never even got to see the second half of the finale. I was about to say, did, did Mickey like dream the entire show? No, 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 it exists. Listeners are going to help me out with this. But yeah, it existed. And because remember, he was, um, he was on something else before that. I can't remember what. He was in a smaller role. But then he got the show. Um, I was going to say, I don't think he was one of Ricky Schroeder's friends, but maybe he was. Um, but then he got the show, and I think it's called, it, it was called It's Your Move. Okay. And they showed the first part of a two-part finale, and I never saw the second part. <laughs> I'm still and puzzled. I never knew what happened. And I was like, you know, I don't know, young when that happened. And I've got what, like nothing. 18 months, that kind of thing? <laughs> yes, I feel like that. I mean, I was great. But I, and I don't know, like, of all the shows I've watched, because there have been many shows, to be fair, that I've just, like, given up on after a certain point. Like, for me, I created my own finale. Like, oh, that was the finale of the series. Oh, no, they're still going, no, 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 no. I decided the show ended here, like, with The Good Wife. I used to watch it, like, religiously every single week, and then they killed off one of my, the, one of, the only character I really, really liked. They killed him off with no warning. And suddenly I, I didn't really care about that show anymore. <laughs> uh, Mickey, being a fellow child of the 80s, did you know that Alf ended with him being captured by the government? I don't think I did. Yeah, you know, the wise... So does that practice. mean he's just, like, sitting out in Area 51 somewhere? So I went and looked at Apparently they did a TV movie that got him out. But if you oh, only no watch a TV show, that was the end. The end of the story is the government caught him and locked him up in Area 51 or something like that. And that was the end of it, which kind of fits. I, I can live with that. Um it does kind of like it's intriguing when you, you have this ending and people don't really like there are certain shows, Angel, Jericho, where the ending is kind of open, but it's still an end. Right. You know, like it just it just it didn't wrap everything up. The idea is that, yeah, life's life for these characters goes on. But it, you know, um, I mean, I, I, I a few until a short while ago, I would have put Twin Peaks on this list. We're getting a new season on Showtime. I'm starting to see the tra- the commercials for it. Ah, it's so cool. Um <laughs> So control I yourself. Because <laughs> I, I would have put that one on the, you know, and for a while I actually was perfectly okay with it. It was meant to end on an un- unresolved point. Kind but of that like was... The Sopranos. Just yeah. Like that yeah. open-ended. I do not like that in movies, by the way, as a rule. Yeah. yeah. Watched I, a movie the other night. It was a really interesting and good film, and I felt so shortchanged at the end. Well, I was going to say, don't. Don't you feel? I, I believe I paid for a beginning, middle, and an end. Right, uh, and, and well, and especially when you've invested in a show and then like nothing. Mm. What happened it, to these people? Did they live? Did they die? A sneaking suspicion that they um, really couldn't come up with a good ending, and just decided to have an unresolved ending in an att- in a ham-fisted attempt to be deep or something like that. <laughs> um, Okay, so my theory is much more practical. Um, the show was not doing well, so they just ripped it. Thus, they had to stop where they were at. <laughs> That's right. No more budget for you. No more Finish budget. it. Finish You're it. Done. You are done. <laughs> Whatever you've got in the can, you that's what you've got. <laughs> Bye-bye now. That's why I'm a Don't regular let the door hit you. 19th century guy. I read novels. They're the same. Every time you read them, they always have a good ending, and no one comes and rewrites it while you're sleeping. <laughs> novels are much more dependable than TV shows. This is true. No one comes and rewrites them, adds new people, and suddenly they have a cousin. 
Or the adopted <laughs> child. I was watching something the other day on um, Family Ties, and I was—I'll admit, you know—I've told you guys and the listeners before that my parents called me Alex P. Keaton when I was little, and <laughs> um, for many for many reasons. However, I did not realize that they had another baby, like an actual hmm. baby on the show, other than the the main three. Did you? Oh yes, it was the little blonde girl because she. she- She's now on um, uh, Blind Spot. She, you, you pair with her, she would pop up. She's been working in television semi regularly. Um, and I think and, it yeah. was a boy. Oh, wait a second. Maybe I'm mixing her up with some other. Yeah, it was. But, it was one see, of those co- cousin Oliver type kids. Well, yeah, that's the whole thing. Like, and that was like the big thing in that time was you know they just throw in a kid. Now they just like fire people, throw somebody else in the role. Like, oh look, we got a new profile this week. Criminal Minds does this every season. A good producer would have Googled all that stuff when you started talking about it and would give it all to you right now, but, you know, I was distracted. (laughs) (laughs) With my sweater. (laughs) (laughs) May I pluck you, my dear? Um, Plucking is not allowed. No. There there are those little sticky lint things you can do that, you know, if you do that, you're not accused of being groping. Okay. Again, Uh, you know, it's interesting to me because they want you to get so invested in the shows. They want you to, um, you know, really invest in these characters, but have absolutely no problem whatsoever pulling them out from underneath you. mm -hmm. And it it, it, it is one of those things that, um, as a viewer of someone who does get invested in these characters, it can be really frustrating. Um, I, I'm trying to think there was an ending of a movie that was kind of spectacularly vague until the director said, well, no, actually, I thought it was perfectly clear. Like, clear. They hear a plane coming, which means they're going to be killed. <laughs> and it was one of those things where it was like, if you took like the three mental jumps that the director did, you, you'd understand, oh, that's the ending. But it was, you know, if you didn't do that and you just heard, saw them staring up, and you know, this faint sign of a plane fade to black roll credits you're like wait a minute there's a scene that was supposed to be there what happened you know? uh, he's making it up he got told he had no more budget just like all the rest of them yeah exactly <laughs> and it's like and that it was my mysterious end to it all um it is also you know the month of halloween and and other great mysteries like why there's bright pink everywhere throughout my football and um, we're going to talk about that and some other really weird NFL rulings coming down this week. Um, I'm Mickey White. He's Jim Garrity. And you are listening to The Jim and Mickey Show. We'll be right back. You from Paytel Records. 22 explosive hits. 22 original stars. Gallery. Oh, it's so nice to be with you. The great Sammy Davis Jr. Who the candy man can. Smith Barney. They make money the old-fashioned way. They earn it. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am your host, Mickey White, along with my co-host, Jim Garrity. And we were just getting into the wonderful time of the football season called Pink All the Things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can't, you know, the There's not a single team in the league where hot pink goes well <laughs> with, with their uniforms. <laughs> no. Yet- I, you know, the Raiders can probably pull it off only because it doesn't clash. Because you've got black and white and silver and like hot pink. Black goes it's, with it's everything. Very, like, yeah, it's goth Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like the Iron Man said, "This isn't the worst thing you've ever caught me doing." <laughs> the Raiders in pink, no big deal. You should read their rap sheets. 
Um, actually, you know, the, can we all just agree that the only place that pink belongs is in Mickey's hair? Obviously, I am, you know, I am obviously digging the pink these days as my hair is, in fact, fuchsia. Um, but I, as someone, you know, it, it's very frustrating to me because uh, October is apparently Breast Cancer Awareness Month in the world. And everybody has to have pink on all the time for everything ever. And there are other causes that are just as important and actually kill more women and are more lethal, like heart disease, um, like ovarian cancer, um, which is, you know, something that is very hard to detect um, and extremely lethal to women once they actually have detected it. Uh, There, you know, colon cancer, um, domestic violence month is this month as well. Mm. And obviously a huge issue for women. And yet, and still, the NFL has made this marketing deal with, um, you know, the pink group and the, you know, and their friends. And and they're out there promoting it. And they say that, you know, 10% of all proceeds actually end up going into these funds. But in reality, very little of them end up going into the actual research. So I guess the question becomes when everybody gets kind of tired of looking at the pink is what's the point i think you you put your finger on it there mickey that like uh, what, there by having a good cause behind it um it kind of makes it uh makes us uncouth or rude or bad uh to be making this to, to be asking why to be asking whether it does any good has this actually really made any significant uh impact on the fight against breast cancer or is it just people doing things to make themselves feel good um, kind of like the, the ice bucket challenge, right? I mean, if somebody yes. challenged you, you couldn't say, "Ah, eh, I'm going to write a check to the to the, you know the, the the charity for that." No, no, you got to dump ice water on your head. Yes, well, and a lot of pe- and in fairness, a lot of people did both. But I, I I think that it's um I think you're on the right path though in the sense of it's much more about how it makes you feel versus whether or not it does any good. And you know who's really sharp on those things? Little kids. Kids know. When there's moral fakery going on and when they can get moral credit for doing something when they've really done nothing. I saw a uh, Little League, Pop Warner, whatever you call it, football game going on at a schoolyard on my way home the other day. And there was nine, 10-year-old boys with all the pink stuff on their football uniforms. And you just know somewhere in the hearts and souls of those little boys who are wise, the wisdom comes first and then the experience when you're growing up. They know that by wearing these pink things, they're getting credit. They're getting pats on the back and good on you and all this from all the adults around them. And they didn't really do anything different and they have no intention of doing anything different. It's fake fake moral credit. Little kids figure that out. Yes, and you know what? What's really, in my opinion, okay. Now, obviously, I'm biased, and you know, hence biased girl on Twitter. For those of you who are looking to find me, hence being called Alex P. Keating by your own parents. Then that too. Yes, um, that was one of the nicer things they called me. To be completely frank, um, but um, you know, I'm a Steelers fan. You guys all know this. However, two of my Steelers have been singled out this season already because of personal losses. Um, Last Monday night's game, Cam Hayward, a lot of people don't realize this, he is Ironhead Hayward's son. Oh, wow. When you first told me the name, I thought it was the actual Ironhead Hayward from way back when. Yes. And the Selsun Blue commercials, whatever it was, the the shampoo. Yes. And um, and that's his son. And he just passed away last year. And under his eyes, in the eye blackout tape, he had 
um, Iron, and I can't, I don't, he didn't have Iron Head, I don't think. I think he just had Iron Hayward. Mm-hmm. And um, he got fined for that. Even though everyone is wearing the bright pink for cancer awareness, his father died of cancer, and he got fined for that for the Monday night game. And then come to find out that D'Angelo Williams had asked if he could wear um, some of the pink throughout the remainder of the season as he just lost his mother to breast cancer. I believe it was in 2004, maybe even earlier this year. And he was told no. So... I mean, what's the story here, NFL? Like, these two have actually suffered losses due to cancer and are actually doing it in memory of someone that they've lost. And that's how somehow offensive and finable. And yet you're forcing others who may have lost people to other forms of cancer. See, this makes, again, I realize it's a fine uh, sports leagues to watch, but it doesn't this doesn't make any sense and it really does kind of make them come across as if it's it's become something kind of corporate and handed down from on high really one what is the worst thing that what what you know the lack of uniformity in the uniforms right. admittedly they are called uniforms but, uh, it, but they all wear different sizes and shirts and it, like it's not there's there's not nearly the uniformity that they would have you believe and some of them pay their fines every single week so they can wear their shiny shoes yeah. Um, if I remember correctly, the uh, tradition of baseball, of everybody wearing number 42 to uh, mark Jackie Robinson, um, if I remember correctly, it was either uh, Deion Sanders. It was somebody who, decided, who chose to wear number 42, even though it wasn't his number. And he got in trouble. I think he had it written on his cleats or written on his socks or something like that. And I think it was Bud. It was like, why, why are you doing this? Well, it's to honor Jackie Robinson. Oh, that's a really good idea. Okay, let's have everybody do it. <laughs> you know, and it just seemed like a very strange, total about face um, to to go to. Well, I think I think the idea. I think the real problem is like there has the reason these laws exist as far as like why you can't have certain things written or whatever is one you get into advertising situations you don't want it to be like NASCAR. Mm-hmm. Where they walk out there and, you know, they're tattooed up or they've got the, you know, whatever stickers underneath their eyes that are not NFL sponsors. Now, don't get me wrong. If the NFL thought they could get away with putting their sponsors on things like that, they would. They'd look like NASCAR. You know? Yeah, I mean, they would. That- they would totally do that. However, they don't want the athlete. I mean, the athletes themselves get in trouble for the headphones that they listen to on the sidelines or you know, the workout gear that they choose to wear if it's not like official NFL gear. So I suspect that it lies much more in that. I do, however, want to let everybody know that D'Angelo Williams um, not only died the the back of his dreads, you know, hot pink for the season to represent because the league can't touch the hair. That's, you know, they can't say anything about that. He is also paying for 53 mammograms for women in the Pittsburgh area. So there's someone who's actually putting, you know, their money where their mouth is. See, then, you know, that seems like it means a lot more than – look, little symbolic gestures are nice, but ultimately they are symbolic, right? And, and it's not that for all of the, the good intentions of everyone involved, cancer will not be beaten by symbols. Cancer will be beaten by actual research and well, actual and the, treatments. The <laughs> and it's it, frustrating, I think, to people, even those, you know, women who have survived, whether it be breast cancer or any other form, is 
the you know the idea that this is to raise breast cancer awareness. Okay, well everybody's aware now. Where did the funds go? How about doing research? Um, the awareness part of the campaign seems to be you know okay we've got that we hate peak awareness. It's anachronistic. They had to do that back in the day when there were only three TV channels and no smartphones. Nowadays everybody's aware of everything and it's impossible to raise awareness. Everybody knows. You almost wish we liked to have, okay, is everyone aware of breast cancer? Yes. Okay, everybody knows? <laughs> Thank All right, you. Yep, okay, we're good. All right, so the awareness campaigns can stop. <laughs> yeah, and instead <laughs> let's put that money into research. Like, how about we put that into research? The awareness has been generated, right? That's that's fine. That's good. Look we, at us, solving the world's problems yet again. I know about breast cancer. Now, how did my team do on FanDuel last night? <laughs> uh, by the way, you know, for everyone who's ever had any beef with this program, I would point out, I believe we're the only uh, podcast or really programming of any kind anywhere in the world where you will not hear a FanDuel commercial. <laughs> <laughs> we are proud to not have them as a sponsor. Unless they really, really want to pay money. You know, to be- yeah, look, you know, we'll be taking sponsorships shortly. So, but We you all know, have our price. Not from them. <laughs> um, and I say this because they're both in court this week. Um, being looked at by the FBI for all of their insider trading. And, well, as you all well know... I don't believe in betting on sports. Um, if you are feeling yourself haunted by all the FanDuel commercials, why don't you stay at a haunted hotel to get your mind off of it? Poltergeists are a lot more preferable. <laughs> we'll be right back <laughs> more on this right after this. When it comes to the music of the 90s, anything goes. Right here, right now, watching the world. Living in the 90s. Two and a half hours of the coolest songs on two CDs and two cassettes. Check it out! You'll be amazed at who you'll find on Living in the 90s. They're sex symbols. What's up, Doc? Carry Rock. Basketball stars. What's up, Doc? Carry Rock. Legendary artists. Living in the 90s has the songs you know, the songs you love, and the songs you just can't live without. Can't touch this. There's only one thing left to say about living in the 90s. You're unbelievable. To order, call the number on your screen or send check or money order. Two CDs, $26.99. Now, ladies and gentlemen, professional podcasting at its finest returns. Let's get back to the Jim and Mickey show. Is it me or you? (laughs) Professional pod. You know, a producer can only do so much. Mike's hot. Like reading Red key. light goes on. It's time to be a star. And what do I get? <laughs> Dead so silence. Sorry. <laughs> okay, oh, that's okay. I'm sorry. Hey, fire away. Who, am I inter- who's entering this? I think I thought you were. Obviously, obviously we had not completely <laughs> figured that one out yet. I had done the rap on the. I guess that means me. All right, so I'll do. You know, ready, ready, ready. You are, Dave. Far, far beyond ready. Hit it. <laughs> 
Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show, hosted by experienced radio professionals, Jim Garrity and Mickey White, and produced by the exceptional Dave Perkins, and we all know what we're doing at all times. <laughs> Say, Mickey, have you stayed in a haunted hotel anytime recently, or have you ever had a desire to stay in a haunted hotel? Um, I have actually both stayed in what I believe is a haunted hotel and a desire to stay in more haunted hotels. Um... Simply because, you know, you know me. I am actually very interested in ghosts, ghost stories, um, the idea of the paranormal. It is my understanding um, that they actually put a list out this week. I think it was TripAdvisor and somebody else um, put a list out this week of some of the hotels that are the most haunted. Now, is that something that you would want to do, Jim Garrity? I'd, I'd rather not, unless they're like taking money off the the cost to stay there. Um, it was booking. So you wouldn't pay and, extra for haunted? No, that's if, what if I mean. That's what ends up happening in these places. Is there's like specific rooms that have you know known activities, and so like those rooms <laughs> actually cost more than the non-activity rooms. Um, so looking over this list from Booking. dot com and Mental Floss. Uh, um, any hotels jumping out at you, Mickey? Since I, I, there are a couple I had very strong thoughts on, but uh, not well, seriously jumping out at you, just m- metaphorically jumping out. <laughs> nice. Thank you, thank you very much, Dave. Dave, you stay behind the board. You hush. Um, well, I mean, obviously, the first one that jumps out is the Stanley Hotel. I think that is of any good horror movie. Um, anyone who you know really likes horror films and specifically you think of a hotel. You think of the Stanley Hotel, which, of course, was the inspiration for The Shining. Um, and that one kind of stuck out to me. There were a couple other ones that were interesting. Like, on obviously, the next time that I'm up in Alexandria, I'll be staying um, at the Hotel Monaco because apparently it is also haunted. Yeah. Now, I know that building had an extensive history uh, going back to the Civil War. Uh, apparently, at the top, they flew a Confederate flag and... Angry uh, Union troops came over to take it down. Somebody shot somebody, and this is amongst the first casualties uh, of the Civil War. I suppose that might be one of the, the ghosts prompting that. Um, you know what jumped, but surprised me, Mickey? Right there, number two on the list, the Biltmore Hotel in Coral Gables, Florida. Uh, this is obviously a, a you know built during the Roaring Twenties. This is a large, ornate, and really, if you are among the movers and shakers in South Florida. Yes. Your Jeb Bushes, your Marco Rubios, things like that. You either have a place that they built more or you go there all the time or you hang out at there. This is basically a, a you know, where the Miami elite hang out when they want to get out of the city. Yes. Um, so I, I, my first question is, Mickey, how can the ghosts afford to stay there? <laughs> well, you know, Hotel California, you check in, you know, relief kind of thing. I don't know how that works as far as billing. Um, <laughs> perhaps they set up some type of lifetime discount. There but I, but I, the thing about it is, interestingly enough, um, my haunted hotel story is actually took place in Florida. Mm. Um, the the, was the Florida most, man? Uh, no, it was not Florida man. I was um, I was about I guess I was a, I would have been about twenty years old at the time, and I was traveling with my family. We were on our way back from Florida. My sister was swimming at nationals and we would go down there every year. And on the way back, we would always like stop along the coast. And the last stop was going to be at Daytona. And he, my dad allowed my sister and I to pick the hotel. Mm -hmm. 
And of course, being, you know, we didn't want to stay in something that looked like a normal hotel. Oh, no. We picked this thing that looked like something out of Arabian Nights. Mm. Um, it had the big plumes on the outside. And, um, and wh- what do you call those things on the buildings where they look like Christmas ornaments upside down? With the little pointy things on top. And Onion I mean, the, it, what's that? Onion domes? I don't know. Maybe. I, I don't know, but they had that, the whole like, the whole like basically right out of Aladdin look. Minarets. Okay, yes, onion domes. Yes, minarets, yes. Minarets, yes. yes. This these are on the outside. And of course my sister and I are like, this is where we have to stay. And so my dad's like, fine, whatever. We go and check in. And the first thing we notice is like there's a really cool indoor pool area where you walk through and there's a bridge, except for there's red cups like red solo cups mm. floating in the pool. And they're all like, oh, yeah, we're still cleaning up. You know, basically spring break ended yesterday. Sorry about that. So there's stuff all over the hotel. And, 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 and it's, it's kind of the ghost of Toby Keith. <laughs> right? Okay. So, it, so we've already kind of got that weird vibe to it. But it's still cool, really interesting layout, fascinating architecture. The I remember it having a glass elevator that took you to the top, which I thought was like the coolest thing at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, because of the layout, and you could see the entire, you know, again, the spread and the way it was set up. We get to our room, we check in, not one of us slept a wink. Like <laughs> from the minute you laid down, it was, there was a presence and then there was sound and it was like it wasn't like hotel sounds it was like other sounds and like literally the next morning we are up out of bed everyone's packed and gone no one even discusses it till we get in the car but it was one of those things where the entire night it felt like something was going on in our room and we weren't invited all right can't say that's ever happened to me uh and it definitely wasn't toby keith singing about a red solo cup <laughs> it definitely was not now you had some issues with the fact that they chose to use the stanley hotel yeah so as, as soon as i heard oh list of haunted hotels so there's a certain one I, I immediately began thinking of and it's not on the list uh it is the timberline lodge up in mount hood oregon uh haven't stayed there drove past mount hood on the trip to uh oregon last year and if i'd had more time probably would have checked it out and you're probably saying, well, Jim, it's not the hotel that uh, inspired Stephen King's story, so, so why would it be so scary? Well, because this is where they filmed it. <laughs> and so, so all those scenes are there. Yes. Now, to clarify, at least it is where the exteriors are. So imagine pulling up to your hotel because you're going on a ski vacation, good old beautiful Mount Hood, Oregon, very far from Colorado where it's supposed to be the <laughs> <laughs> hotel, right? Right. Now, the hotel website, I'm looking at it right now, they're very clear. I say, look, several of the exterior shots in the film, which purport to show the lodge, were taken at L Street Studios in England, using a mock-up of the south face of the lodge. There is no hedge mage at Sipperline Lodge. All interior scenes were shot at L Street Studios as well and do not depict the interior of the Timberline Lodge. <laughs> they want you to know. They're serious about making sure that people understand, like, we are not the Shining Hotel. But, here, notice this little interesting. So, Kubrick was asked not to depict room number 217 featured in the book because future guests at the lodge might be afraid to stay there. So a non-existent room, number 237, was substituted in the film. Curiously and somewhat ironically, room 217 is requested more often than any other room at the Timberline. 
I told you there's rooms that people want. Like I said, you know, I, I want to stay at the Myrtle's Plantation. It was not on the list, which is a shame. That makes this entire list invalid. Um, the Myrtle's Plantation is extremely haunted. Um, it's in Louisiana. Um, and it's shocking to me that that one was not on the list. And uh, there's a there's several others that are kind of shocking, but you know there are enough lists out there that apparently there are a lot of believers. So hopefully um, we can encourage some of our listeners to write us. Uh, you can also message us on Facebook. You can message us on Twitter uh, at Bias Girl at Jim Garrity at Jim and Mickey. Um, you can use Facebook to Facebook.com Jim and Mickey. We want to hear. If you've got a ghost story that you are willing to share with us, we want to hear about it. So um, looking forward to hearing your stories um, and and even those of the non-believers. Um, it's Halloween. It's that time of year. And I think it could be fun. So um, we're going to talk about some other things in the next segment um, that are not quite as spooky, but certainly scary enough. I'm Mickey White, he's Jim Garrity, and we'll be right back. What is best in life? To crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentation of the women. That is it. Player. Player. Balls of Fury. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And we're nearly at the end of this program. But I wanted to add one more note to our previous discussion about haunted hotels. Another one that got left off the list, Mickey, and I just couldn't believe it. Uh, it's up in New York City. Um, it was very big. It's kind of one of those old classic ones. It kind of had a revival in the 80s, and then it kind of went back down again. But um, uh, it's called the Sedgwick. And apparently mm-hmm. there's this green thing that floats around. Uh, eating things, a lot of stuff. They call him Slimer. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but he got busted, so it kind of went back down. I was totally that, so. buying into your story, too. <laughs> you suck. Because well, immediately when you said, well. well, immediately when you said that, one, I was thinking of the the hotel, is it, is it, I can never remember, is it Mar- Sherimon or something like that? The Maramont, the one out in Hollywood where all the, People always apparently hang out and live for like months at a time, and then they want to stay there and haunt. So I assume that's where you were going with this. And then you throw a Ghostbusters joke in my face. I was going to say either that was you knew it was either that or a Trump Tower joke. So yes, (laughs) (laughs) the Ghostbusters joke. I did not see classiest ghosts. I cherish women. I cherish women. Women I I did see this week an interview with get this Rick Moranis. Oh really. Yes, it, like he's still around. I know, right? Good. And apparently, he was offered a a role in this upcoming, as we've discussed, reboot of Ghostbusters with chicks, and he turned it down. Now, I haven't seen Rick Moranis work since I don't know ninety one. Oh, I read about him. His wife passed away, I think, of breast cancer, ironically, for this program, and he made up his mind to be a parent to his children and not do movies anymore because it required too much time away from home. That's what okay, I read. So I respect that entirely, but someone comes to you, offers you a job, and they how bad is Ghostbusters going to be? <laughs> <laughs> if he's like, nah, I don't really see how my character plays into this. You guys do your thing. From about 1984 to, let's say, the mid-90s, 
Rick Moranis was playing the nerd in just about everything, right? Basically, this, this was a, he was a major comedic movie star. So I don't think he needs the money. And the second thing, I like him joining the Dirk Benedict Club of, oh, you're rebooting my iconic role? Screw you guys. <laughs> right. Screw you young actors. Screw you young directors. None of you are going to do it as well as, as I did. <laughs> I am the classic. I am an icon. I am irreplaceable. Come up with your own iconic ideas and characters. Right. Brilliant. Amen to you, Rick Moranis and Dirk Benedict for that battle. Well, yeah, well, and again, you know, interestingly enough, it was, it was. I thought the interview was, you know, and again, Davey talked a little bit about his life choices, etc. Mm-hmm. And, um... And, you know, that that's one of those things that you realize no matter how famous you are, no matter how much money you make, you still have to make those kind of choices in life. Well, it's still being kind of an honest, you know, so uh, Rick Moranis, are you going to appear in the Ghostbusters reboot? No, it looks terrible. Right? Not, <laughs> like, but again. Fantastic honor, you know, just straight. Yeah, no, it looks bad. I don't want to be in it. <laughs> I don't want any part of it. And like, every, on my life's work. like, I don't think there's one original cast member that's agreed to come back. Uh, my understanding was that uh, Dan Aykroyd, you know, the man who, you know, whatever he is today, at his peak was a comedic icon, has been cast as a cab driver. And that, that's where you'd like to see Rick Moranis to say, F you, F your script, F your cameo. I, you know, I, I've been trying oh, to. Oh, so they just wanted him as like cameo, blah, blah, blah. For yeah, like no. one second in the film, he's like, hey, it's, it's Dan Aykroyd instead of like, you know, utilizing. It's kind of like, well, it's their way of giving their blessing. And some of them are like, nope. Yeah, no, you don't have my blessing. You don't get my blessing. This is well, going to be crap and everybody knows it. I oppose the reboot of the Jim and Mickey show in about 20 years with the younger <laughs> Mickey. Oh, honey, no one could ever replace us. There we go. We'll just and, live with our illusions. Yes, exactly. You know, no one could ever replace us. And, of course, we have once again come to the very end of the show. So thanks again for being with us this hour. And uh, we appreciate it. We love to hear our feedback from you. Again, you can always find us on SoundCloud.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, 405 Media, AltCon Radio. Uh, do look us up on Facebook. Become a fan and a friend at Facebook.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show. And uh, look out for Jim's new book, Heavy Lifting, coming out. You can get it now on Amazon and pre-order. If you are trying to find us on Twitter, we are at Jim and Mickey. We will be back again next week. Look forward to it. I'm Mickey White. My co-host is Jim Garrity. And our producer is Big Dave Perkins. And you've been listening to The Jim and Mickey Show. Have a great week. about your church and your head when it hurts we talk about the troubles you've been having with your brother about your daddy and your mother and your crazy ex-lover we talk about your friends and the places that you've been we talk about your skin and the dimples on your chin the polish on your toes and the run and your holes and god knows we're gonna talk about your clothes you know talking about you makes me smile but every once in a while i want to talk about me want to talk about i want to talk about number one oh my me my what i think what i like what i know what i want what i see i like talking about you 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 believe but occasionally i want to talk about me 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 i want to talk about me, me.
talk about your schemes, your high school team, and your moisturizer cream. We talk about your nana up in Muncie, Indiana. We talk about your grandma down in Alabama. We talk about your guys of every shape and size, the ones that you despise and the ones you idolize. We talk about your heart, about your brains, and your smarts, and your medical charts, and when you start. You know talking about you makes me grin. But every now and then, I want to talk about me, want to talk about I, want to talk about number one. Oh, my, me, my, what I think, what I like, what I know, what I want, what I see. I like talking about you, 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 usually. But occasionally, I want to talk about me. Me, me, me. I want to talk about me. like the rest of you, one leg at a time. Except, once my pants are on, I make gold records. <laughs> All right, here we go. Fear, don't fear the reaper. Take one, roll. All right. One, two, three, four. in here for a second, please. That, that was going to be a great track. Guys, what's the deal? Uh, are, are you sure that was sounding okay? I'll be honest, fellas, it was sounding great, but I could have used a little more cowbell. I scream your name, the words you got 